one of the most incredibly beautiful passages in all of the Bible. It's the greatest story ever told by the greatest life ever lived. It has been ranked by people who study literature as an absolute masterpiece of brevity and poignancy in conveying a truth. This uh, occurs, and I must read to you one verse to show you the setting of it, and then I'll go back and pick up after a while the first two little parables. But get this in your mind first. Our Lord Jesus has become very, very popular, and people are coming to him everywhere to hear him preach. Great crowds of people are gathering to him. And any time you gather great crowds of people, you will also find some critics who will come too. Now Jesus had infuriated the religious leaders by calling one of his apostles a publican by the name of Matthew, a renegade who was hated by the religious establishment, to be one of his own immediate disciples, one of the twelve apostles. We will see a little later on in the Gospel of Luke that he does an unthinkable thing. He goes into the house of a tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus when people would be saying he ought to know better than that. He ought to know what kind of man Zacchaeus is and he ought to stay away from him. And yet Jesus, oblivious to their criticisms or maybe wanting them to see what he is doing, goes to Zacchaeus' house. Uh, he has made himself to be not only an object of great fascination and curiosity by uh, the uh, sinners and the publicans and the harlots, but also the religious leaders are beginning to be attracted to him too. But they are criticizing him. So in the very first verse of Luke chapter 15, we read these words, then I'll skip down and read from verse 12. Another time, the tax gatherers and other bad characters were all crowding in listening to him. And the Pharisees and the doctors of the law began grumbling among themselves. This fellow, they said, welcomes sinners and eats with them. And so he answered them with this parable. And uh, then we'll see that he gives parable number one, which will be about uh, a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and loses one. And then about a woman who has ten coins and loses one. And then we pick up at verse 12 this matchless story. And again he said, There was once a man who had two sons. And the younger said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property. So he divided his estate between them. A few days later the younger son turned the whole of his share into cash and left home for a distant country. There he squandered all of his inheritance in reckless living. When he had spent it all, a severe famine fell upon that country, and he began to feel the pinch. And so he went and attached himself to one of the local landowners, who sent him out to his farm to mine the pigs. And he would have been glad to fill his belly with the pods that the pigs were eating and no one gave him anything. Then he came to his senses, and he said, How many of my father's paid servants have more food than they can eat? And here I am, starving to death. I will set off and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, 
I have sinned against God and against you. I am no longer fit to be called your son. Treat me as one of your paid servants. So he set out for his father's house. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and his heart went out to him, and he ran to meet him and flung his arms around him and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against God and against you. I am no longer fit to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, fetch a robe, my best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us have a feast to celebrate the day. For the son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And the festivities began. Now the elder son was out on the farm. And on his way back as he approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and he asked him what it meant. And the servant told him, your brother has come home and your father has killed a fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. But he was angry and he refused to go in. His father came out and pleaded with him. But he retorted, You know how I have slaved for you all these years. I never once disobeyed your orders and you never gave me so much as a kid for a feast with my friends. But now that this son of yours has turned up, after running through your money with his women, you have killed the fatted calf for him. My boy, said the father, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. How could we help celebrating this happy day? Your brother here was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan. I pointed out at that time that the word Samaritan had been a very dirty word, that Samaritans were tremendously hated. They were from another race. No self-respecting Jew would have anything to do with them. He would spit on the ground if you mentioned the name of a Samaritan. He would turn his head and look the other way. He had nothing to do with him at all. But then Jesus, who is teaching a lesson uh, to a group of people who are religious people, is asked a very smart question by a very shrewd lawyer. The lawyer wanted Jesus uh, to tell him how to inherit eternal life. And when Jesus replied that he could inherit eternal life, by loving the Lord his God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and strength, and his neighbor as himself. Uh, the lawyer knew the wisdom of all of this, but he wanted to pinpoint who his neighbor was so that he might know who to love. And, G and so he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then Jesus told that great story, which is probably the second of the greatest of the parables. He told the story of how a man who was a Jew was on a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves and was beaten and robbed and left half dead. And how a certain Levite, uh, a member of the priestly class, came by and uh, passed by on the other side. He didn't even want to look at him. 
You remember I pointed out then that we often do not want to look at people that we do not want to help. If we see those poor starving Cambodians on television, somebody says, turn it off, I don't want to see it. We don't want to see these things because we know that God may demand of us that we do something about it. Or if there's someone we don't like, we'll go around the building to keep from bumping into him. We don't want to see him. And you know, it's interesting that in Matthew 25, when Jesus speaks of the great judgment day and people who have done things for him, that those who are cast out ask him the question, when did we see thee hungry or thirsty or naked or sick or in prison? You notice, when did we see thee? That is, that we voluntarily choose not to see some of these things. We don't want to see them. Well, Jesus really hit that lawyer when he told him that any person in need was his neighbor and qualified for his help and that that lawyer had to understand that. I expect that lawyer wished he never had asked that question when Jesus got through explaining the meaning of it because that certainly destroys all of our racial prejudice, all of our racial pride. Uh, we cannot use it or put it up as a barrier uh, to keep us from helping other people. Now then, because Jesus continues in this same theme, and by the way, that too is in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 10. Here in the 15th chapter of Luke, Luke is a Gentile, and I think he's especially concerned that Jesus was so concerned about Gentiles too, uh, that is, non-Jews. And so when uh, these publicans, these tax collectors and sinners drew near to Jesus to hear him, and the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious authorities murmured about this, saying that he receives sinners and eateth with them. The thing that made them mad was that Jesus not only ate with these people, but he enjoyed it. I wish I'd call this sermon surprised by joy, because that's really the, the theme of the, uh, of the, of the whole parable, uh, the reconciliation. There is that homesickness for the soul, but uh, when we're lonely and full of pain, uh, because we're away from home and we come back to God, there is joy that comes. And so Jesus, uh, to these Pharisees and these scribes who criticize him, speaks a parable. First, he tells about a, a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. And if he loses one of them, says Jesus, does he not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, what does he do with it? Jesus says he puts it on his shoulders, rejoicing. He picks that sheep up and puts it on his shoulders and comes back hilarious, excited, full of joy that he found that sheep that was lost. And Jesus says to them, uh, And when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors and saith unto them, Rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons who need no repentance. Now these Pharisees and scribes considered themselves just persons who needed no repentance. A little later on, Jesus will shock the daylights out of them by showing them that they too are sinners and that they do too need to repent. But here he very tactfully omits saying that. He accepts them where they are with their own assessment of themselves so that they might see 
that there is joy in the angels of God, the glee club up in heaven really pipes up and sings when one sinner repents. And test yourself about that. Are you full of joy when you see someone come to know the Savior? And if you're not, you better go look in the mirror and then get down on your knees and ask God how it is with your soul and how much you are like Jesus and whether you stand close to him. Don't come around me with any of that starchy, silly, well, Presbyterians don't believe this. Uh, that's rubbish. Uh, you can be a good Presbyterian and go straight to hell. And, and uh, you, you, you best remember that. Okay, let's go to verse 8. I want to be charitable. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, here's a woman who's got ten pieces of silver. Maybe it's like a charm bracelet. And she loses one piece. Doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently until she find it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. She's happy. She probably spent more money on the party rejoicing than the peace was worth. Likewise, I say unto you, said Jesus, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Now then, I don't know how a sheep, I know how they get lost because they're so dumb. Uh, out in Texas, where I come from, sheep men and cattle men don't have much dealings with one another for that reason. Uh, sheep get lost because they nibble at a little piece of grass here, and they're very short-sighted, and when they don't have their glasses on, which they usually don't, uh, they, they can't see, so they eat some grass here, and then there's a little tuft of grass there, and they eat that. And then the first thing you know, they get off from the herd, and then they look up and they can't see anything but a blur. Ah, comes that dumb sound. They're lost. And that's about the only way you can find them back. They're, they're doing that. And uh, that's what they do. I don't know what the coin does to get found unless it just shines. Uh, but anyway, the shepherd has to take the initiative and go and leave the 99 and go locate that sheep and put it on his shoulders and comes back rejoicing. And Jesus says, instead of being so sour-faced about these publicans and sinners that I'm receiving, you scribes and Pharisees ought to be rejoicing that God loves them too and that God wants them to be saved. And so uh, Jesus uh, tells about the coin. Uh, the coin, by the way, is lost involuntarily. A sheep wanders off on its own. A coin is lost through someone else's carelessness. And that's important to remember. Uh, sometimes we lead people astray and we must remember that. Okay, let's get to the heart of the story. And he said a certain man had two sons. He has gone from the ratio a uh, hundred and one sheep lost, ten coins, one coin lost, and now two. But both of these two are lost. And he said a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. Now, Jesus tells this very tactfully. Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. This is a, a narcissistic person. We've heard a lot about the narcissistic culture. Here is a selfish individual who wants to use people to get things. He has a death wish for his father. 
He doesn't cherish really his relationship with his father. All he wants is his father's goods. And he knows that when he dies, those goods will come to him anyway. And so this brutal, cruel thing takes place. He goes to his father and says, why don't you give me my part of the stuff now? I don't really need you. That's the most hurtful thing you can say to another person, is I don't need you. I don't need you. Ask me if I care. I don't care about you. So he says to his father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. I've wondered why he was so cruel. I've wondered if the other brother had aggravated him or what had gotten his craw to make him this way. But anyway, he goes to his father, determined that he is going to leave. And his father does not argue with him. I'm sure that all of these Jewish listeners who were listening to Jesus tell this story must have thought, well, what a fool his father was to give him the money. I wouldn't have let him have it. I wouldn't let him do that. He'd just make a fool out of himself. But the father gives him his portion of the inheritance, and then he takes his journey into the far country. And into the far country, this is where he spends up what he has very quickly. He spends it in ways that not Jesus, but the elder brother describes, which is a right significant point. He spends it in ways that are disreputable, and then he begins to be in want. And this want that he feels, this alienation that he feels, represents the lostness of man. And how does man get lost? I think he gets lost when he takes this narcissistic, selfish attitude of using other people in order to get things and of really not caring for them. No man gives to him now. He has spent everything that he had, wasted his gifts, and he begins to be in want. He is up against it. And then he has to hire himself out to a farmer to feed pigs. For a Jewish boy brought up in a kosher home to have to go and feed pigs is a terrible thing. And yet that's where he is. He is in the, this place feeding pigs. You see, his hard attitude had alienated him from his father. It had alienated him from his brother. It had alienated him really from God because when he comes back home, he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight. Just like when King David had sinned in the matter of Bathsheba, Nathan the prophet went in and rebuked him. David said, I have sinned against God in that matter with Uriah the Hittite. So this young man recognizes that the alienation that takes place has taken place between himself and God. The way he has wasted the opportunity that he had. And so there is a great line 
he comes to his senses, and when he came to himself, he began to think, and boy, oh boy, would it be wonderful in heaven today if someone in Gaither Chapel this morning would begin to think, would begin to think about their relationship to God and of how much he loves them and of how much he wants them as an individual. Notice the individuality here. One lost sheep, one lost coin, but two boys that are lost in different ways. And God is dealing with them. This alienation that has taken place is what's wrong with the world today. Karl Marx committed what has become one of the greatest tragedies in the history of the world by trying to remedy the alienation that has come between man and man because of what he thinks, because he thought the economics of it all, the class struggle was the reason. I remember studying Marxism and going to the Billy Graham office on Tottenham Court Road in London and catching a bus one day and going all the way out to Highgate Cemetery. And while I was working in the British Museum, I'd read that he was buried there. And I went out and sat down at the grave of Karl Marx. And I looked up at the grave. And I thought about this man, Karl Marx, and how half the people of the world have fallen under the sway of what Marx taught. Marx was so tragically wrong. He believed that the answer to all of man's problems was economic and that the class struggle was responsible for it. And now we see these suffering millions in Cambodia. We saw the hideous atrocities of Chairman Mao in China when 10 to 11 million Chinese had been killed. All of the millions that were killed in Russia and the millions more that will probably be killed in some nuclear holocaust that comes about with people trying to breach this alienation. But Marx's idea will not do it. Marx had made a tragic mistake, a tragic mistake indeed, the alienation that is caused by the class struggle that is there. This crisis is deeper than that. It's in man's relationship to God. And so the young man comes to his senses, realizes that he is alienated from his father, alienated from his home, but that his stomach is rumbling and that he is hungry. He thinks about that, and he says, how many of my father's hired servants, his paid servants, have bread enough and to spare, and I am perishing with hunger. And then he arrives at a some action that he will do. He says, I will arise and go to my father. That's what Mary Horner sang so beautifully a while ago. I will arise and go to Jesus. Because Jesus is really the center of this parable. That's what he's teaching here. I will arise and go to him. And so he lifts himself up from this place where he is feeding with the swine 
and he starts off toward home. And I've wondered what he must have thought about on the way back home. He makes some wagers. He must have wondered. I wonder how it is back there. I've been gone so long. I wonder if my father is still living. And he knows who will be in charge of things if his father is dead. He'll be that elder brother. He's sort of dreading that already. He wonders if his father is still alive. Then he wonders if his father will take him back. And he makes a kind of religious proposal. He says, I'll go back to my father and I will make this speech to him. I'll say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me like one of your paid servants. And so he starts his journey. The New English Bible, which I read from this morning, says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. This, to me, is a wonderful thing. His father saw him a great way off. In the catechism, which some of these little children learned, the little pink catechism, it says, can I see God? And the answer is no but God always sees me. Did you get that? Can I see God? No, but God always sees me. I have a friend who is a wonderful preacher and a great minister, and he has a lovely daughter. She's grown up now, but when she was a little girl wearing a pinafore, he said they were walking in a park one day, and there were some pine trees, and he was keeping his eye on her. She was only about four at that time. And she got between uh, some, got some pine trees between where he was wa- walking. And he watched her because she had been interested in some flowers it was in the spring and she'd gotten separated from him and got behind these pine trees and was walking along behind him. And then suddenly she realized that Daddy wasn't where he was. And so she said, Daddy, 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 she said <laughs> real loud. And he stepped out from a tree and said, here I am, and she said, I found you. <laughs> well, well he, she didn't find him. Uh, he found her. He was watching her all the time. And this boy is going to be that way too. He will arise and go to his father, but his father will see him when he is still a long way off. His father saw him, and the New English Bible says his, his heart went out to him. And you have to understand something of the tremendous Uh, oriental dignity which is at stake here because they did not run in public but the father runs to meet him he runs to meet him and that's unthought of you do not see persons of great dignity and prestige generals and admirals and so forth running Uh, presidents but he runs, Jimmy Carter did, no name. He was in, <laughs> blew that one. He ran in, a, in some race. Uh, uh, he was a Baptist. Uh, <laughs> they run. <laughs> his heart goes out to him, and he runs to meet him. And he flings his arm around him and smothers him literally with kisses. And the son says to him, he starts that speech that he's made up. He's practiced it over and over while he was going home. 
Father, I've sinned against God and against you, and I'm no longer fit to be called your son. But the father stopped him in the middle of the speech. He didn't even let him get through. But the father, by the way, asserts his authority. God is God. And he asserts his authority here. And his father stops him. I'm not going to take you back like a slave. He's got something better than that figured out for him. He stops him. Quick, he says. Fetch a robe, my best one. Fetch a robe, my best one. And put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let's have a feast to celebrate for this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and he is found. And the festivities began. The old man was full of joy. I think he must have gone all over the place saying, hey, have you seen my boy? He's back. Have you seen him? He's got his hair all combed and he's got a new suit and he's shaved and he looks wonderful. I'm so glad he's home. But now comes the elder son. He was out on the lower 40, plowing. It's been a hard day for him. Hot out there plowing. Long ways off. Work all day long. And he starts back toward the house. And he sees lights. And he thought, well, daddy's been so sad. He hadn't had the lights on in a long time. He'd just been moping around the house ever since the boy's been gone. But the lights are all on. And he gets closer and he hears the sound of music. And he thought, well, what's come over this place? And then when he gets closer still, he asks one of the servants. One of the servants. He called one of the servants to him and asked what it meant. And the servant told him, your brother has come back home and your father has killed a fatted calf because he has him back safe and found. Killed the fatted calf. One of my friends says that was his 4-H calf. <laughs> he said, you mean he killed my calf? And so he is furious. But he was angry. And anger alienates. He was angry. And he would not go in. He went off to the barn and he unharnessed the old mule and he threw the harness down and he threw everything else down and he went up in the loft and he stayed aside by himself and one of the servants went to his father and said, you better go talk to your other, brother, your other son. I'm afraid he's going to burn the barn down. He's mad. <laughs> he's mad. Christians uh, say that they don't get mad, they get hurt. But he was mad. <laughs> and uh, his father does an interesting thing. His father goes out to him. You remember he had to go out to the son that came back. He saw him a great way off. Well, now this is one of the surprises in the story. He goes out to him, and that's teaching these scribes and Pharisees that just as God had to go out to get these publicans and sinners who were far off from him, that there were some scribes and Pharisees who were far off from him too. But he loves them, and he's going out to get them. And so the father goes out. He goes out because the brother refused to go in. 
Isn't that interesting? He refused to go in. I was at the great World Congress on Evangelism in Berlin in 1966. And I'll never forget a November night, very snowy and cold, and I was walking into the Congress Hall with Oral Roberts. And Carl McIntyre was out there passing out tracts to everybody against the meeting. And Oral Roberts said, who is that guy? And I said, that's Carl McIntyre. He said, what's he doing? I said, he's passing out tracts against Billy Graham and against this meeting. And Oral turned around to me and said, why don't he come on in and get the blessing? <laughs> and I thought that was a tremendous attitude. Why don't he come on in and get the blessing? He refused to go in. Well, here, the elder brother refuses to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. It's a very unusual word. Entreated him. He pleaded with him. But look at this surly speech that the brother makes. You know how I slaved for you all of these years. He's marked off what he's done. Don't ever go into God's presence telling God you did this and that for him. You know how I slaved for you all of these years. I never disobeyed one single thing you told me to do. And yet you never even gave me a little billy goat that I could celebrate with my friends. And here this boy who's run through all your money with his, with his loose women. He's the one who brings that up. You killed a fatted calf for him. Now look at the father's response to this hostility and anger. My boy, he says, you are always with me. Everything, everything I have is yours. I think he must have put his arm around him. Everything I have is yours. And Jesus was saying that to these Pharisees who hate him and criticize him for going to Zacchaeus' house, for being kind to these publicans and sinners. Jesus says to these Pharisees, the Lord wants to put his arm around you and to love you even though you misunderstand this thing. You are always with me. Everything that I have is yours. How could we help celebrating this happy day? Your brother here was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. It's interesting that in the case of the other two parables, Jesus gives a little commentary at the end of it. When he talks about the sheep, he makes a little statement that there's more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than 99 who don't need it. When he talks about the coin, he says it again, I tell you there's more joy in the angels of God over one sinner that repents. But when he comes to the end of the story of the two boys, he doesn't have any commentary to say there. He just lets that sink in. He wants that to sink in. Do you know why he wants that to sink in? There are two possible responses. It could have been that that elder brother, after he got through blowing up, could have said, oh, Dad, you're right. You're right. He is my brother. 
and maybe he ran off because I was so mean to him. I want to be, I want to go where he is and tell him that I love him. He could have taken that attitude, we're not told. Or he could have just stayed mad and alienated from him. Now then, the important thing for you to remember at this point here is that if you turn your back on God, you cannot face your brother. And if you turn your back on your brother, you're not going to be facing God. In 1 John, we're told, he that says that he loves God and hates his brother is a liar. That's very plain. And so we've got something here that we have to deal with. And so the Lord wants us to know that he loves us and he, that he takes us to himself. All of us. He takes us where we are and he makes us what we ought to become. Now then, where do you stand in all of this? Have you gone and said, give me everything that I've got coming to me and I'm going to use people and be selfish? Just look out for myself. I'm not interested in my brother. Are you willing to say to God, I'm glad I came to church today. I need to be reconciled to some people. And I need to be reconciled to you. And I want to be all yours. And I want you to be all mine. And I want to be like Jesus taught here. And if you do, there's joy. Jesus Christ tells the story, but he's the one who puts his hands upon your shoulders and sets you free. And if you want to, you can make a little prayer to him right now as we close. And you can ask him to take you from where you are and to make you what you ought to be. Let us stand in prayer. Do you sense in your own heart that you're separated from God? Do you want to be reconciled to him? If you do, then you've got this marvelous invitation that's been given to you here by Jesus himself. You can arise and go to Jesus. He will embrace you in his arms. And in the arms of my dear Savior, oh, there are 10,000 charms. Let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream.
All the fitness he requireth is to know your need of him. He'll take you from that point. Do you have faith that God is as good as Jesus has pointed him out here? Good enough to take you if you've been like that younger brother? Or good enough to take you if you've been like that older brother and to embrace you and to restore you to fellowship with him? How much do you believe in the gospel? This is the gospel. It's good news that he will take you. He will receive you. He'll put his robe of righteousness on you. He'll put his ring of ownership on you. He'll make you his. You don't have to sign a card or walk an aisle. Those things are good. But you can do that right now in your heart. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. And you can ask him to come into your heart just now. Thank you, our Father, for this blessed book of yours and for this wonderful son of yours, the Lord Jesus that he loved the little children and that he loved wayward people of riper years, that he wants us to be reconciled to you and to himself and to one another. Will you do your work of reconciliation in the minds and hearts of all of us here this day especially for any who have felt that never before in their life have they ever really yielded to you. Help them to know that you will take them where they are and you'll make them what they ought to become. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit our keeper and our guide be and abide with us all, both now and forevermore. Mm -hmm.